0: Dealing with Grief and Loss, a Kinship Carer's Victoria podcast. This podcast is part of a series on Kinship Carer self-care and well being. It was recorded and produced on Jara Country, the land of the Jar Jar Wurrung people. And we extend our ongoing respect to all Kulin Nation peoples, the traditional custodians of these lands, and pay respect to the elders, both past and present, and to the deep knowledge of the land that is embedded within the Indigenous communities. lives, grief is an unavoidable and essential part of what it is to be human. When individuals and families experience a loss, every member of the family can feel and process their grief in different ways. Grandparents, parents or carers face the difficulty of managing their caring role while trying to deal with their own feelings as well as the children in their care. In this podcast, we speak with Janice Butera, Specialist Grief Practitioner with Grief Australia, who will share with us her knowledge about grief and loss and offer some strategies for families to use in navigating their way through these difficult periods. We first ask Janice to explain what we mean when we talk about grief and loss.
1: So we recognise grief is a healthy and adaptive response. We also recognise it's a response to the human condition. I'd like to highlight that grief is subjective, it's an individualized experience, no two people grieve the same, nor is it linear or a predictable process. I'd like to highlight most importantly there's no right or wrong way to grieve, as long as you're not causing harm to yourself or others, and that grief definitely is a multifaceted experience. And it's a real misconception unfortunately to to see grief as a linear experience. Most people are familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of dying. However, that model basically um, identifies the stages of grief that people experience whilst they are dying. So not necessarily the stages of grief we experience when we experience death or non-death bereavements. You'll find that most clinicians use the dual process model whereby we recognize that individuals, we oscillate between experiencing the pain of our loss but also experiencing life again. And so we go back and forth, back and forth. Mostly people will find that over time, they may find themselves mastering new skills or growing around their loss, including what we like to speak to is a continual bond with the deceased. This concept that death ends a life, but not a relationship. And we cultivate that for the client. I'd also like to acknowledge the work of William Warden, who speaks to the concept of um, bereavement as well, that mostly people have to accept the reality of their fate. And this can be a very difficult thing to do, but what we see is that people have to walk through and experience the pain of their grief, where eventually they may integrate their loss and readjust and adapt to life differently with a renewed focus on restoration.
0: Emotions can certainly have an impact on both our bodies and minds. We asked Janice to outline what effect grieving and the associated emotions can have on people's physical and mental health, as well as how this can affect other parts of their lives,
1: such as sleeping and appetite. People's health impacts are quite huge. Um, Lots of literature speaks to grief being likened to an ABI, an acquired brain injury, and a lot more research in neuroscience is being investigated on how grief impacts the brain, and I can give you a resource for that to pop on your website. But we also see that people can become quite disorientated when they experience grief. So people will talk about this concept of brain fog, forgetfulness due to the stresses of grief. What we see physically is that people also lose their appetite or vice versa, they tend to overeat. Uh, People's sleep may be disturbed. Maybe people are not sleeping or they're oversleeping. They feel fatigued, unmotivated. Their footing in the world, their sense of identity has been challenged therefore they may find themselves isolating themselves and then this becomes an issue with loneliness. But also I find that um, clients often report sighing more often, that sense of heaviness in the chest, the tightness in the chest and throat. They may feel weak and dizzy and also experience a lot of psychosomatic complaints like pain mostly in the stomach and gut. Because we see grief as a physical response to loss, most people will talk about that tightness in the throat, well grief basically sits around here on the chest and mostly when people come to counselling, the grief is in their head, there's a lot of rumination, trying to make sense, trying to comprehend the bereavement and then over time eventually as we integrate the loss, the bereavement no longer sits in the head but it then sits in the heart space.
0: Different members of a family may process their grief in different ways. Next, Janice talks about how the children in our care can experience their grief and what carers can do to provide a safe space for children to express this.
1: Well, firstly, it's about recognising what the child is experiencing and not stigmatising or having any expectations around that child's grief. So you can be quite creative about that children really appreciate honesty too so being a role model for children and letting them know that you're also experiencing sadness today and what that may look like is very important so creating a place where children always recognize that um, their grief is not stigmatized but also validated. Children are very good at gauging their emotional responses sometimes unfortunately um People may not pick up on it and it's important that uh, people, in particular teachers or anybody associated with the child, have an understanding that the child is experiencing grief and important for obviously the the carer in particular to provide a safe space for the child to express their grief. So listening without problem solving is important, allowing the child to facilitate their conversations rather than top-down approach. Children know how to express their grief and and it can be a really lovely thing. They dip in and out of their grief. So they may be playing and immersed in that play. And then they may find themselves obviously relating to the grief and feeling the sadness, the lament of their loss, and then they may potentially go back to their grief. So once again, it's almost like they're dipping their toes in and out of their grief.
0: Janice discusses the importance of grieving together as a family and even allowing play to be part of the whole process.
1: So dosing yourself can be very useful, making sure that you're not fully immersed in the grief. So you recognize that you might spend 10, 15 minutes paying attention to that grief, but also then allowing yourself to, to self-soothe and re-regulate again. So you might find that you wake up and you feel the sadness of your grief. You may shower, in the shower, and then you come down for breakfast and and things may look very different. So you're able to recognise that there's moments in your day where you can pay attention to your grief. So often enough, we find that people compartmentalise their grief, more so where people are going back to the workplace or school life. Most importantly, being authentic and acknowledging how you're feeling, so as I mentioned, being a role model to the children so that they see this as a normal way and that tears are welcomed as opposed to stigmatized. I often think that a family who grieves together heals together, So that message there is that we support each other. There is no right or wrong way to grieve and we recognize the uniqueness in how we grieve. Self-care. I would assume, and I see this often, that um, most families do a lot of activities together. And sometimes um, there may be one person in the family who chooses a self-care activity, and then that may change from time to time. But mostly we see clients um, creating memorial gardens or playing their loved one's music, going to events or doing things that remind them of their loved one. So this is part of the continuing bond, um, having this reconnection to the person who has died. I would say also to your listeners never underestimate the power of your inner child so being playful and allowing laughter to be part of the healing this can help with stress but also help the child to recreate a sense of belonging also in the family so these things are really important and and once again I really want to highlight my favorite concept that the grief and joy they can coexist.
0: Anniversaries of a loss and the periods leading up to them can be a challenging time for families. Janice gives some advice on how to approach these occasions and what people can expect or even create around them.
1: For me, it's about discussing the significance of the day and what what the family anticipate the day may look like. So pre-planning can be very helpful, but we also recognise that some people choose to ignore this day and that's okay. There's no rules or regulations regarding anniversaries. But I'd also like to mention that ironically, and as I mentioned before, we've experienced grief psychosomatically, our bodies will respond to the event even weeks in advance. So you might start feeling those pangs of grief reminiscent to your earlier stages of grief prior to the actual anniversary, whether that be also Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas or any other significant event. So. I would say to your listeners, pay attention to this, as we know the body is designed to grieve, but also we need to recognise how we self-soothe when we feel overwhelmed. I would also add that because we know grief is subjective, it may be important to seek permission from all family members regarding their thoughts on the pending anniversary. As I recognise that not everybody wants to partake in recognising the date, But we find sometimes families may also wish to remember their loved ones according to how that person lived. So for example, if their loved one enjoyed going to the movies, families may arrange for this. Or if their loved one enjoyed being in the garden, they may create a family memorial garden together. Also, and this is perhaps my last point, it may be important to recognise that if the day falls on a school day or work day, You may want to take time off from work or school and just pay attention to what your needs are regarding that day.
0: So what about those situations where someone who has been grieving for a while is expected to move on and get over their grief?
1: We often hear this narrative and often it's other people who feel uncomfortable with people's grief and therefore there's a misconception that we do move on from grief and what we recognize is that we never move on from grief it's part of the human condition it's a permanent fixture in our lives there's no expiry date as such so Often what I hear from clients is that it's a matter of empowering themselves to correct people where this assumption has been made that it's time to move on. Because often enough, people are very offended by this and it upsets people to hear that their grief has an expiry date. So in some ways, it's interesting. We find that um, people who tell others how to grieve may feel uncomfortable with their own grief reactions. So in grief, what I have found to be helpful both personally and professionally is empowerment, to empower oneself and to meet your needs rather than the needs of others who have an expectation that you will just compartmentalize all this and put it away and not attend to your grief. But we want people to attend to their grief because it's a symbol of love. And we want people to have this wonderful connection to their loved ones who have died, hence this continual bond that we have with our loved one. And what
0: can be the effect of repressing our grief?
1: If people don't attend to their grief, we call this repressed grief. Sooner rather than later, it may find itself coming out in other ways. So physical complaints, people might find that um, they may be triggered. So I've had scenarios where perhaps someone's experienced a bereavement as a child and never attended to that grief. And then when they experience bereavement as an adult, unfortunately the bereavement is double fault because they're grieving the loss that they never mourned from a child, they're mourning that as adults.
0: Where can people go to find out more about grief and the grieving process? Janice shares some
1: great resources. What's wonderful about this is that more and more organisations are catering to grief and loss. So obviously our website, Grief Australia, has a lot of fact sheets and recommendations for referrals Australia-wide. There's a couple of American websites that I do recommend for anybody caring for grieving children. The first one being the Dougie Centre. They have some really brilliant activities and age-appropriate explanations of grief and loss. Believe it or not, Sesame Street, for younger children. If you Google Sesame Street and Grief, you'll be amazed as to what you find. And that can be helpful for your little ones, uh, you know, perhaps five and under. Carers Gateway, I would imagine there's lots of information there that speaks to grief and loss. I also recommend an organization called First Light Widows Association. And basically it is a group of people who have experienced the death of a partner who come together And they may do camps, for example, or they have events whereby they may meet for coffee, tea, and um, it's just an appropriate thing for anybody who's experienced the death of a partner. A couple of other references also feel the magic. They offer camps for bereaved families. There's the National Centre for Childhood Grief. That's one that you may have to Google. And obviously here in Australia, never underestimate the importance of the work being done at the Kids Helpline and Lifeline. Janice has some
0: final words of advice for carers about grieving and the important role it plays in our lives.
1: For me, it's not about pathologising grief. For me, it's about recognising it's part of the human condition that all human beings will experience grief and loss in their lifetimes. And most importantly, I think it's coming together collectively. And for example, the organisation we are facilitating a Remembrance Ceremony tomorrow in the community. And that's really important because people want to recognise the importance of grief and how grief plays a big role in our lives. We don't want to shut people down who are experiencing grief. And if anything, we want to encourage them to talk about their loved ones. And we want to ask questions and continue to mention their names.
0: The next podcast in this series will feature Principal Commissioner for Children and Young People, Liana Buchanan, speaking about the Commission's recent report on education for children in out-of-home care. This podcast was made possible by generous support from the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing and the Carer Café.